Hello, Gut Check Project fans and KBMD Health family. I hope you're having a great day. It is now time for episode number 62, and we will be joined today from Canada's own Mason Bressett, naturopathic doctor. Uh, he is incredible. What else can I say? So two episodes ago, Ken and I said that we had some experts lined up to talk about food as medicine, specifically fungus. And Mason is our first guest in this series, and he really brings some incredible knowledge about it. He also serves as the medical advisor for Real Mushrooms, which is a large-scale, high-quality commercial brand of medicinal mushrooms, things that you can add to your food for specific diseases and treatments, etc. I don't want to overspeak or overstate. There's, of course, laws in the United States versus laws in Canada on how you can and can't describe things. Regardless if I'm misspeaking on the appropriate word, this man knows exactly how to help his patients when they come and see him. And a lot of that is incorporation of fungus, mycelium, fruiting bodies, everything about the mushroom. Mason has it down. So, Without wasting any more time and soon to be joined by my awesome co-host, Dr. Kenneth Brown, let's get through today's sponsors. Atron Teal. Get your daily polyphenols at Atron Teal. Go to lovemytummy.com. You will get your daily chock full of, uh, you know, polyphenols. I do it every single day and I have now for six years and it's because it works and it feels great. And my co-host, Dr. Kenneth Brown, is a developer, and he sold me on it. That's kind of how I fell into this whole thing to begin with. So get your daily polyphenols, Autron Teal, go to lovemytummy.com, use code GUTCHECK, and save. And of course, Unrefined Bakery, unrefinedbakery.com, amazing food. If you like great tasting food, but you happen to be paleo, or you happen to be gluten-free, or you just simply don't like traditional bread, and but you want something that tastes good, go to unrefinedbakery.com. Hundreds and hundreds of y'all have already done it, I know, because we hear from them. So please head over. Go ahead and use code GUTCHECK and save 20% off your entire first order. They will ship to any of the 48 contiguous in the United States. Unfortunately, not uh, Alaska or Hawaii without calling them. They can make arrangements, but everyone else, they can safely ship you your fresh food, whether you're keto, paleo, gluten-free, etc. They've got you covered. Unrefinedbakery.com. Use code GUTCHECK for 20% off your first entire order. And last but not least, go to kbmdhealth.com, kbmdhealth.com, and save some money on some incredible physician-endorsed CBD, or get Dr. Brown's Signature packages, which include Atron Teal, Broccoli, Sulfuraphanes, and his own CBD. And you get those in flavored in either cinnamon or natural. And uh, keep your eye out. So right now, it's towards the end of September of 2021. We are making a minor change to the label, but uh, be on the lookout for a, uh, a sale. A sale that may appeal to everyone. It's not today. It's not today, but probably in a month that rhymes with Blocktober, should we say. Anyhow, so go ahead, hang with us. Gut Check Project, so glad that you're here. Mason Bressett is up next here on episode number 62.
Hello, KBMD Health Family and Gut Check Project fans. Of course, I'm Eric Rieger, soon to be joined here with my awesome co-host, Dr. Kenneth Brown. It's episode number 62, and we are following up on a series about fungus. I'm going to let you introduce because where's the fungus among us? Yeah, so I'm really excited. You can see here that we've got some products that I use from a company called Real Mushrooms. I reached out to them and had a great conversation with Dr. Mason Bressett, and he is a naturopathic doctor, and he's going to be representing Real Mushroom, but he has a great background. He actually, Dr. Bressett, got his naturopathic degree from the Bouchard, can you help me on that pronunciation, Mason? Boucher. Boucher Institute of Naturopathic Medicine. After graduating, he went on to work with St. Francis Herb Farm, where he received extensive training in herbal medicine, and he developed a passion for educating other healthcare practitioners. Now, while he was educating others on herbal medicine, he began to gravitate towards the unique qualities of the adaptogen class of botanicals. Going deeper into the subset, he realized how many medicinal mushrooms were grouped in the adaptogen category. From there, he dove into the world of mycology. He has since been a consultant with Real Mushrooms, and I'm a huge fan of the product. As you can see, I've laid out the products that I like to use on a regular basis. And I'm just thrilled that we can have him here. We've got several things about this. He's a naturopathic doctor. His background in, we're going to get into all of it, but I love some of the stuff that he got into. He's into movement. He's into sports. He's into helping people that need help, AIDS, things like that, and then eventually found his way into mycology. And we have Dr. Mason Bressett here that two episodes ago, I told Eric that I want to start getting into mushrooms because I'm super fascinated by him. We did the nutritional cooking show, I guess you could call oh, it. It was, it was tasty. It's probably our tastiest episode. It was definitely our tastiest episode. <laughs> um, and so now, Dr. Bressett, welcome to the Gut Check Project. Thank you for having me. Dr. Ken and Dr. Eric, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm looking forward to the, the project and the, the episode. Awesome. Well, thanks for making the time. Um, so, and like Ken said, two episodes, we kind of just dipped our toe into the water of, of mycology and uh, why mushrooms are beneficial. So to get us started, you know, Ken kind of hinted at what drew your interest in, but it's all superficial. What is it about you, Mason, that drew you into mushrooms? Tell us your journey. What made you aware that there was an opportunity there for you to explore? Yeah, that's a great place to start. So when looking into medicinal mushrooms for the first time, it was through herbal medicine. And a lot of mushrooms get grouped into kind of the botanical or herbal world. We often say, you know, even herbs are kind of falling in that category, even though they're not herbs or botanicals. So when, you know, going through to be a naturopathic doctor, we learn about uh, around 160 herbs. We need to learn the Latin name. We need to learn the constituents. We need to learn all the safety profiles of all these herbs, how they interact with medications, all this different stuff. So when diving into herbal medicine, I was just, you know, I was curious about mushrooms because they seem to be in that adaptogen class, like my bio said. And what does that mean? We're still sort of figuring that out, but it basically means that these um, substances, these natural substances allow the body to develop some resilience to stress, whether that's physical stress, perhaps mental, psychological stress. And 
that's kind of what got me really interested. And then learning about mushrooms more thoroughly, I was able to kind of dive deeper into the nutritional properties. And it sounds like you guys had an awesome podcast on the nutritional properties and also the active compounds that come along with the mushrooms. So I think it was um, a blend of just realizing that they have such a breadth of use with such a great safety profile. And also they're a food first, which I really love in the sense that in the food first sort of way, we know that those things can be used long-term with a really good safety profile. And that's what kind of drew me in from the, the mycology um, world on that very um, sort of academic way of learning about them, but then also playing around with them in my internship and then also using them in my practice these days. Nice. I love that whole food first. Eric and I frequently talk about how mother nature just knows how to do it better. When pharmaceutical companies try and extract a compound, turn it into a drug and then serve it as a drug, it never seems to quite perform as the whole compound. And that's one of the things the whole food first always ensures that if it's a food that you're going to allow your body to take mother nature in, get what it needs and move on. And that's kind of the, what I've met with other naturopaths. That's why they were drawn into that. Why were you drawn into naturopathic medicine? Well, you know, from like a very logical answer, I've always wanted to help people. And, you know, I've always wanted to be in the healthcare world um, from like a more right brain sort of intuitive answer. I've had, you know, I haven't had any real serious illness, but you know, I've, I've had my minor share of, you know, chronic skin problems. And when I was in Northern Ontario, I was working with a really interesting chiropractor. And what I really loved about what he was doing is that he was really working with the person that he was working with and not really their disease process or their syndrome or whatever. And that's not meaning that he wasn't affecting those things. But what I really loved about his style of practice was that he was looking for the sort of disturbance or whatever the problem and working at it from a very individualized perspective. So, you know, I like the body, I like, you know, mobilizing joints sounds pretty cool, but I thought I'd get bored of that. So I liked the scope of naturopathic medicine and in the sense that I could still work very individualized with folks, but I had a, a more broad scope in the terms that I could still do some physical medicine with people. I could still talk about their diet. I could still ask them, you know, what's going on in your life. And I really appreciated that, that more intimate connection that he had with patients. And that's ultimately what um, brought me here today was seeing that process happen. Naturopathic medicine is something that is relatively new to the state of Texas. I have met several Canadians that have really gone through long, extensive schooling for that. We know that up in Portland and stuff is the naturopathic school of medicine over there. Did you find the training to be really difficult? And can you define for our audience a naturopathic doctor, the training you go through, and let's say a traditional medical doctor like me, like dealing with patients and so on, just so people understand that there's an extensive amount of training with this? Yeah, so the, the, you know, the brink of the academic training, you, you need a, a science undergraduate degree to get into naturopathic medical school. Unlike conventional medical school, you don't need to write the MCAT. Some do because some are kind of straddling both worlds, but it's not a part of the, the entry requirements. Um, 
So then once you get into naturopathic medical school, you study for four or five years, depending on which program you're in. There's uh, six programs in North America now. There's two here in Canada and the rest are in the States. Um, Portland's got a, a great school and some are bigger than others. Some have different strengths and going through um, naturopathic medicine is, I, I don't know exactly how it um, differs. I don't I haven't talked with a lot of my medical doctor friends on the first couple of years, but um, the first two years are all about like biochemistry, physiology, anatomy, and you learn kind of the basics about the human body, a little bit of pharmacology mixed in there. And those are kind of like, you know, the tough it out years that you just put your head down and study. I'm sure that it's, it's similar based on your smiles right now. Um, sounds identical. <laughs> it's the same. <laughs> yeah. And we have, you know, the school that I was at, it was, I was very lucky to go to that school. We had a very um, small ratio of teachers and doctors to students. So we had about 13 kids or kids. I call them kids still 13 students in our, in our naturopathic medical class. And um, we have medical doctors on our curriculum at that school we were taught by you know pharmacists we we write the same um, pharmacology exam that um, medical providers or medical doctors write in the state of uh, or in the province of British Columbia so um, you know there's lots of crossover I think and then in the last two years is when you get into more of the in-person work so the way that our school did it is that in third year, you got to be in clinic and you got to work under a fourth year intern. We don't call them residents like you guys do, but you got to work under a, a naturopathic doctor who was overseeing um, a fourth year student doing all the internship. It would be equivalent to a residency. So we got to actually kind of be like a fly on the wall doing vitals, seeing the whole process starting in third year. And then in fourth year, you get your own active patients under the supervision of your supervising naturopathic doctor. And you, um, you go through, I think the, the end amount of clinical hours is somewhere around 1200, but I'll, I'll show you, I'll send you guys a really cool, um, education comparison from some of the main medical schools in the States where you guys are at. And then some of the different, um, uh, modalities like chiropractic, naturopathic medicine, and physio. It's really interesting to see the breakdown. I would imagine, though, that in Canada, um, they're, truthfully, Canada is just uh, light years ahead of naturopathic medicine as it's, as it's applied to patients. And a lot of that can be seen in the way that even when we took Autron Teal to, to Canada, we were able to speak specifically as to what it is that Autron Teal does as it relates to symptoms and, and disease and here stateside our own fda is far more more biased to to steer all authority to come through the allopathic or the more traditional medical uh, medical side and it's really unfortunate because i think that our public pays a price for not knowing how to openly embrace naturopathic approaches when ultimately really good food is the best medicine and it, it kind of stinks that that's where the mindset is but um but i mean i think the naturopathic medicine is making huge strides yeah that was what eric's getting at is that we were surprised when we launched in canada in on our box here the vague terms bloating abdominal discomfort and the canadian minister of health or whatever the department is that does this are like no 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 no. what do you do we're like well we in Canada, it says IBS. irritable bowel. Yeah, irritable bowel. And in Canada, it says abdominal pain. And 
they're like, we don't want any vagueness. We, we want to know what this is and we're going to research it. And you have to put the exact, you know, a bunch more certificates and what, what does it have? It's not a proprietary blend in Canada. You have to show exactly what it is. Yeah. So, and we had to get a specific uh, registered number, an NPN number, like you would do for any traditional pharmaceutical here stateside. So they were far yeah. more serious about naturopathic medicine there. Yeah, so I just wanted you to explain because I do know that, I mean, your, your knowledge on herbs, I'm just learning as I'm sort of slowly evolving into more and more functional gastroenterologist. But like when I just discovered these mushrooms, I'm like, we're going to do a whole series on mushrooms. Oh my gosh, these are amazing <laughs> for you. And when we called you up, you're like, duh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little bit behind. So. Um, when you got into, uh, it was St. Francis, right? The, uh, the company that you worked for. Yep. So when you went from there to the meeting and the CEO or the founder of real mushrooms sky, am yep. I right on that? Mm -hmm. Tell me about that story. Cause that sounds kind of intriguing. Yeah. So I was in Vancouver at the time where the school was and, um, Sky, he lives up near Vancouver on the sunshine coast and through the herbal medicine world, we have like these clubs at school and, you know, you can make a club just like in high school or university, just, you know, there's different, it's like the nerd club of naturopathic medical school. So that, you know, <laughs> there's like a herb club, there's like a workout club. So there was clubs and through um, my work with St. Francis and when I was going to school, there was a club where we did tincture tasting. So we would taste herbs because when you make formulas for people in clinic, it's great to be like, oh, yeah, they got um, some sort of SIBO problem. Let's just hit them with, you know, the heaviest herbs ever. But compliance is a thing with tinctures because, you know, if they don't like the taste of it, they're not going to love it. But again, you can't make all tinctures taste great. But um, anyways, there was this club where we played around with like making formulas to make them taste good, but perform better um, based on, you know, the effectiveness. So that's kind of like the science and the art of blending up a nice tincture was trying to get all your effectors in there. Anyways, um, we, we were looking to do an event at the school that was around mushrooms because, um, like I said, we're always talking about mushrooms and we're talking about herbs and, um, like different products, as you guys know, there's different kind of qualities. Like you can go to, um, I don't know, Walgreens. I think that's in the States. Like you can get a, a vitamin from Walgreens or you can get a vitamin from like a third party um, certified professional company. There's a bit of like a spectrum there with the natural health products. So I kind of, I kind of saw that in the mushroom world with all the different um, substrates that mushrooms could grow on all the different, um, you know, ways that mushroom products could be promoted. But then I found Sky and Sky is um, a really good company owner. His dad is the one of the grandfathers of bringing medicinal mushroom extracts into North America, specifically organic medicinal mushroom extracts. So I said, Sky, why don't you come to the school, the naturopathic medical school and give a presentation on what should be in a mushroom product, why it matters and why like these young naturopathic doctors should know what's in the product. Because if you're giving some product to somebody, you should have full um, informed consent to give that to person to know what's actually in the product. So I thought, you know, let's talk mushrooms and let's see like what the quality differences are in the mushroom world. So that's how Sky and I met. And then we eventually developed um, a relationship and we started doing some stuff together with the company. 
Yeah, that's fascinating. What, what, knowing, knowing that was kind of uh, your entry there, what type of, of um, medicinal applications of mushrooms drew your attention first to say, this is an avenue where I feel like that I could make a difference in someone's health? Well, I think, you know, you guys got reishi there on the, the left. It's your right. But um, reishi was really one of the first mushrooms that I was like, there's something to this mushroom that, um, you know, there's something more to this particular mushroom. And, you know, if you look into the Chinese history, into the, the sort of traditional way of viewing this mushroom, it's pretty, pretty amazing how much... Um, respect was given to this particular mushroom. And um, so that's what got me drawn into mushrooms was particularly reishi. And reishi was actually in this formula that St. Francis had, which is called deep immune, which a lot of people use for uh, an immunomodulating formula, a lot of oncology, um, naturopathic doctors that focus in cancer care, I should say, actually, um, they use this product to help revitalize an immune system sometimes after chemo, after radiation. And it, this particular product had a lot of adaptogens, you know, that affect the deep immune system. So the bone marrow, all the, you know, the things that kind of get wiped out with chemo and radiation. So that's what kind of drew me into mushrooms was reishi in particular reishi was in a particular product. And there's also like eight other things in that product. So it wasn't just that obviously doing all the work, but um, that's kind of the, the aha moment where I'm like, okay, the mushrooms are, you know, they're working on the immune system on this deeper level that we need to know more about and we should know more about. So is that when you started looking at the science of it? Is that when your study of mycology in your bio, when it said that's when you really got into the mycology, is that when you really started looking at the science behind all of these things and then eventually led to joining Real Mushroom? Or how did that process go? Yeah, so I think, you know, I always called myself a C student. So I think my research kind of started outside of school while I was still, you know, doing all the clinic hours, doing all the volunteer stuff, doing all the academic hours. So yeah, I think it started a little bit more informally, you know, like if there was a conference that had a, a speaker on, you know, oncology or herbal medicine, I would always pick those ones because I would hope that they would choose mushrooms in their topics. But um, yeah, so that um, process of just kind of learning outside of naturopathic medical school, which I feel like is the best learning, um, really kind of kickstarted it. And then I was, um, yeah, I was talking to Sky and he wanted to do more um, research and practitioner outreach with the company. So we had linked up and then we started to do some, um, not a lot of our own research. We do do that with like, you know, compounds and stuff in the products and in the, the things that we're growing, but it was more about, you know, what's out there right now. And it was more of a compilation at that time in terms of research, you know, what's out there, how can we get this information to people? Because I think as healthcare providers and doctors, um, you know, doctor means uh, educator or um, to teach. So I really enjoy that sort of teaching process. So I've just been following that thread in my own life. And um, yeah, so that's kind of how that sort of uh, mushroomed. <laughs> I gotta say that one of the things I really like about your approach and the first time that we spoke was, um, you, and you say it yourself, whenever you're talking about something like mushrooms or food to elicit a, a beneficial response, 
and that is the research, the research involved. That's, that's the validation measure for anybody to find out what's going to work repeatedly for different diseases and, and the applications of a mushroom for someone's, you know, uh, I don't know, their ailments, I guess, for, for the right word to, to find there. But what kind of walk us through what, what is it that you look for in a mushroom and, and, uh, and, and for products to fit a specific either disease or symptom or a boost that you, that you put together. You, you can walk us through, you know, a couple of different uh, scenarios if you want. Yeah. So I think if I'm getting the question right, is like, how do I choose a particular mushroom for a particular um, case? Is that kind of where you want me to go or yeah, more? Not, not, not only that, and I, I guess I, I could have been more brief. It sounded much better than me staring into these lights to come up with that. But uh, not only how you choose it for a specific disease or, or a case, but how is it that it works with that kind of research? I don't think a lot of people who are new and want to explore mushrooms understand what it is that's so significant in a mushroom versus another type of food that makes it so cool. Got it. Okay. Um, well, yeah, mushrooms are great because like I said, they got a lot of nutritional properties and you know, these are some of the big ones. The big four that I like are the um, beta glucan. So the, the complex sugars, vitamin D2, selenium, and ergothionine. These are some of the big compounds that I think are making a lot of the waves in why mushrooms, you know, work on the different systems that they do. Um, and different mushrooms obviously have different varying amounts of all those four compounds. And there's probably obviously tens of at least hundreds of compounds in mushrooms, but those are the big ones that I think are, you know, top of mind for people to know about. Um, and again, can mushrooms. I, can I stop you there real quick? Because we covered three of those. I did. We did not talk about ergothionine. Can no. you tell me what that is? Yeah. So ergothionine is a compound that's found in some guild mushrooms. So the highest we've found are some wild bolete species and also yellow oyster and shiitake. They have varying amounts of ergothionine. Mm. And ergothionine is an adaptive antioxidant, and they think it has um, roles. There's a lot of preclinical data on it right now, and then they think it has roles where any, anywhere there's oxidative stress. So um, specifically in anything to do with red blood cells and places of high kind of stress turnover like your eye, they think that these are kind of the places that ergothionine might work the best. And there's a transporter in your body. I think they've just renamed it. I think it was called OC. TN1 before, but they've just called it ergo transporter now. And they've realized that our body has this transporter for ergothionine. And there's some really interesting um, speculation, a lot of it, and then some other um, sort of like preclinical data to say that ergothionine may be beneficial for things like um, neurodegenerative risk, dying from neurodegenerative risk. And also there's a cardio study that shows that out of 112 metabolites, um, the one that was most inversely kind of uh, positive against not getting cardiovascular disease was ergothionine. And um, we know that ergothionine has a lot of um, a lot more consumption in Europe. And there's a there's some graphs that show that the higher your ergothionine consumption, possibly the lower your chance of dying or getting severe complications from a neurodegenerative risk decreases. So. Um, 
Ergothionine is really interesting. It's like a new thing. And, um, you know, there's people talking about it, like Dr. Bruce Ames. I think he has some stuff on it around like um, it being a really interesting compound that may be able to um, act as sort of like a longevity vitamin. Hmm. Not to get off topic real quick, but I've always thought of Shagas as being the neuroregenerative or lion's mane, sorry, lion's mane being neuroregenerative, does that have ergothionine in it? Lion's mane probably has a bit. It's less than that, um, less than that of the other ones I mentioned. Um, and yeah, lion's mane is for sure like the the neuro, um, like the neuron, you know, regenerating a neuron. Absolutely. That's what it has the most study on. Um, what um, ergothionine has that I guess, you know, lion's mane kind of has, but not really is, um, this ability to kind of act as a, a very potent antioxidant, which, you know, the beta glucans in lion's mane are very antioxidant, but, um, and I guess when I said that, I hope you didn't read it as, you know, helping the neurons, but it's more of like helping brain brains age. Well, that's where I think ergothionine helps in the sense of um, modulating that process. Well, I think that is, that's everything to me in my field that we try and do research on and we try and help is the brain get access because ultimately we see this epidemic of dementia and anything that helps a brain age well, I think should be in the water personally because everyone, or we all have to deal with it one way or another. We know a relative that has dementia. We know somebody yeah. that's, and that's sort of a, that, that's why when you said neuron regenerative, um, not that it's going to regrow it, I get that, but the fact that it will help it age well is a great way to say it, help your brain age well. I, th I was also thinking because something else that you and I see quite a bit, and sometimes we're the first ones to notice it on a patient is that when someone has sleep apnea and sleep apnea has this long cascading effect of inflammation, usually leading to uh, rises in cortisol which then ultimately can turn into cardiovascular disease or coronary artery disease. And so when I hear you talk about ergothionine as this potent uh, antioxidant, I think of maybe if you had someone who was chronically dealing or, or even newly diagnosed with sleep apnea until they get it under control, it would be, it would be wise possibly to help stave some of that inflammation with something that had high ergothionine in it. Yeah, absolutely. Can you tell me the types of mushrooms that have that again, just so that people can know what to when they're because on the last episode, we were talking about just how many, how many, how many different ways you cook with it, how it's good for you, it brings fiber. And we didn't get into this. And now I'm thinking, okay, add one of those yeah. to, to our little to our little recipe that we did on the air. <laughs> Yeah, so they're mostly in the gilled mushrooms. So, you know, they're not the hard ones that are on trees, but they're the more softer ones with gills on the underside. And um, shiitake, yellow oyster, oyster. Uh, and then there's some wild, uh, I believe, bolites, which is more of like a, a harvest uh, foraging thing. You know, this, is, this isn't being cultivated. Um, and then yeast, like yeast also make this to a degree. Um, there's only a couple things in the, in nature that make ergothionine. One is, uh, fungus, one is cyanobacteria and yeast. So, you know, and we have a product that has this in it. We combine yeast ergothionine with the shiitake and oyster. You have and a product at real mushroom or at your clinic? At real mushrooms. We have an ergothionine product now. Huh? That's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah. Very. Yeah. And it's all, you know, it's all very new. 
it's all very um, speculative with the data that we do have. But I'll uh, send you guys some papers that maybe you can link into the show notes on ergothionine. Oh, without yeah, question. Sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that's uh, very, very interesting. Well, this is exciting because now we're really going to start eating your brain because you clearly know your stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and this is, uh, we're, you know, level level one on the whole mushroom thing, but I'm very excited because I'm trying to think of all different ways that I could start using different mushroom extracts, mushrooms and recipes and things for different disease states. So with that being said, just out of curiosity, can you tell me some successes that you have seen and some failures at that? So that we're not just saying, just throw this and everybody's going to get better because as a as a clinician, what's cool is, is that you work as a consultant for a company that happens to make these extracts. And then after that, we're going to talk specifically why I have chosen to use real mushroom products uh, because the growth medium that you were mentioning where it comes from mycelium and those things that we touched on briefly on that mm -hmm. episode before, but you're going to know it a lot better. But I'm curious as somebody that stands on both sides of the fence where you're still seeing patients and you're consulting for a company, what are some like exciting things that you have seen in your practice and some things where you're like, you know, it just didn't pan out the way the literature said, because that's how my practice is. You go, oh, it's supposed to do this. And somebody comes back and goes, no, I'm just still feel miserable. And I'm like, I'm sorry, we're all trying. So, yeah. Um, okay. Let's start with a win and then we'll go to a loss. Um, okay. So I find cordyceps, um, actually we can use cordyceps, let's use cordyceps for both examples. Um, I find cordyceps really, um, really good. Like I have a patient with um, chronic bronchitis and you know, we tried some different things. We tried some herbs, we tried some breathing, we tried, um, you know, getting their diet a bit better, you know, a little bit less mucousy foods, a little less inflammatory foods. Um, I've tried, you know, no dairy for a while and, you know, nothing really was ha happening. So I was like, let's try cordyceps. So I use three grams of cordyceps a day for three weeks. And that's pretty high dose, you know, so that's six of those babies you got there. Okay. Um, and what I noticed, what the patient noticed is that their breathing improved, um, probably by about 30, 40%. And their mucus production dropped by about probably around 50. And that was a win for that patient. And now they're on a lower dose of cordyceps, just sort of like maintenance. And they take a gram a day. Nice. And that was after about those three, four weeks. So now they're on a gram a day and they're still noticing pretty much the same effects with their breathing and the mucus production. A um, little bit less coughing, which goes along with the breathing. So um, cordyceps is, you know, I think it really works well in the lower respiratory system. Hmm. Um, did you, at that high of a dose, did your patient experience any significant side effects? No. Um, so no. to put it in perspective, if this person went to a traditional doctor, they do some sort of inhaled steroid almost immediately. Yeah, the decimide or something like that. Yeah, which is associated with, you know, candida overgrowth in the esophagus. Yeah. And there's, there's, it comes with its own risks. It's not like the medications that we would use for that don't carry significant risk. Correct. Yeah, and cordyceps is pretty safe. Um, yeah, there's no, you know, this patient, I think, gets blood work like every year. So there hasn't, and I've been working with them 
not for a year yet, but it'd be interesting to see, but there's been no, um, yeah, no negative side effects, I guess, that are apparent with their, you know, signs, symptoms, but you know, maybe, maybe something, but yeah, they're fine. I can real quick, just kind of, kind of, uh, you barely hinted at it there, but, but, but tell everyone what, what is it that you have to be conscious of whenever you're giving someone a steroid that probably you wouldn't encounter if you're trying to control inflammation with mushrooms. You mean like an oral steroid or yeah. an old steroid? Yeah, or? I mean, like, like mm-hmm. you said, you said that you would run into Canada. So then kind of, what is it that you as a GI, if you see someone who's being treated for that, that you have to be uh, cognizant of what is it that the patient's going to complain of because they've had that treatment? Yeah, so unfortunately, or fortunately, in medicine, we discovered this class of medications called steroids. And these steroids are not the anabolic type that athletes would use. These are prednisone, solumedrol, methylprednisolone. These, all they do is they suppress your immune response, which can benefit a lot of people in the short term. The problem is, is that in the long term, you can run into all kinds of side effects, which do include um, diabetes issues, cataract issues. You can end up with a short-term side effect of sleep deprivation, acne, skin changes, weight gain. So I deal with this with all my patients that have Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis. Uh, we try and get them off the steroids as quickly as possible to try and find some other alternative to control or balance the immune system. And if you've got somebody with chronic bronchitis or asthma, it is still an inflammatory process. Yep. So the inhaled steroids, intrinsically, you're not getting as much. But over time, if you leave them on it, they're going to have all the same side effects. These Mm -hmm. COPDers that we see that have been on it for years, they come in with similar side effects. So steroids, in my opinion, the first thing I try and do if somebody needs a steroid is when are we going to get you off? First thing that somebody comes in and they're on a steroid is like, I need to get you off that. The plan is to always try and get off. So anything that can and all it does is profoundly suppress the immune system all of it so that you are also at more risk at certain infections but these uh, these side effects are significant and my patients that see me get like oh osteoporosis i mean we can go on and on i mean there's just tons of side effects that happen because of this necessary in the short term but in the long term finding a food alternative yeah that can help balance the immune system would be the ideal situation. Yeah, that's exactly where I was going with that. I mean, this this just seems like it would be a great way to maintain, if it, if not even achieve, a much better, lower inflammatory uh, state, if, if none at all. Yeah. So, I mean, Mason, we've talked briefly before, but we talk about how these polyphenols can help mitigate some of the inflammatory cytokines. And that's why I got so excited about the mushrooms, because it feels like this is the third circle in a really cool Venn diagram of polyphenols, science of mushrooms, and the endocannabinoid system because they all surround the getting everything back in balance. That's the key that I'm trying to do is let's just get you back to normal. We don't have to do anything excessive. And hearing that story is is really refreshing and interesting because you understand how it did it and, and you knew how to use it on this person and it benefited them. Yep. And yeah, and just to, you know, keep going there, like similar with steroids, like you said, is there any side effects? No, but is there any clinical rationale that I would want this person to be on cordyceps forever? 
no, I don't want them to be on it forever, you know? So yeah, they have no apparent side effects, but I know that that's still just holding some part of their physiology that, you know, eventually want to move them off the cordyceps too. So, um, if you want to call that a side effect, I would say, yeah. And, you know, cordyceps is very, um, it's very strong. It's very strong mushroom. So, you know, if somebody has like more of a, a weaker constitution or more of like a depleted state is how I would describe it. Um, you wouldn't want to be giving them false, um, energy or false, um, stimulation with the cordyceps long-term. So if that's a side effect, I'd say that is a side effect of cordyceps is that you don't want them to be on it all the time. Talking traditional Chinese medicine, I don't know how valid this is, but when I was doing some reading on this, the reason why that I have the cordyceps there is because apparently when they had um, when they were building the railroads, mm -hmm. workers noticed that the Chinese workers would pop these mushrooms and just really start working really, really hard, these Chinese immigrants. Really? And yeah, and so it became known as the energy mushroom, or I forgot what they called it. And so I'm like, I want that. So I ordered it. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that's super Am I nasty. off on that, Mason? There's some story related to that, right? Yeah, there's a bunch. It sounds it sounds like it. it yeah, it sounds true. It sounds like something I've heard before. Yeah. Okay. I like how he just said it sounds true. Sounds <laughs> true. Well, he said it. He goes, you don't want to give a false sense of energy. Right. And yeah, I just want the energy. Yeah. <laughs> Whether it's false. Right? I don't care. I don't care. Yeah. Just give me the energy. <laughs> yeah. Give me the... Um, now, just so that we're being fair, both sides, you said that I'll give you a failure. Let's hear a failure. Okay. Um, you want to hear a cordyceps one or whatever, whatever you like, because I think it's real important also. Like I have, my whole clinic is essentially full of people that have tried my own product and say it didn't work. What do we do now? Right. And I have to admit failure. I'm like, okay, it doesn't work on everybody. We got to try and figure something else out. So I think hearing somebody be very honest and say, you know, I thought it'd work. I tried. It didn't work on you. It just shows how nuanced medicine is. And yeah. you run into the same issues that all of us do. Yeah. Okay. Well, let me use this time to reflect a bit. Um, okay. I had a patient that was coming in. They had like some MSK stuff going on, like uh, some sort of hip pain. They had um, allergies. So seasonal, seasonal allergies. They had um, some... Uh, some different um, history with uh, like a vocal cord um, problem. But um, so Reishi, I used Reishi with this patient. Reishi can help um, modulate the TH2, TH1 balance point with the immune system sometimes. So I used it to help the allergy symptoms that she was having. So, you know, classic itchy, mucusy, runny nose, um, that's, those are the big ones, you know, mucus, palate, itchy kind of sometimes eyes. But so I put her on one gram of reishi per day and that seemed to help the allergy symptoms for, you know, a little bit. It didn't, it didn't do much to them, honestly. And then she started to get, just feel generally just kind of, um, not malaise, but she was just like, after those two weeks, she was just like, I don't feel great. And, um, what I didn't know about this patient is that she had a past history of having a, a higher platelet count, um, which I didn't see in her labs when she first came in. So the reishi 
um, was giving some dermatological signs of um, little, uh, well, what's the derm term? Patechiae, kind of? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, I could see it in the book. But uh, this patient developed some of that. So we stopped it right away. It went away. But um, yeah, you know, this patient has, uh, and they're getting worked up, I think, for that now, which is interesting because it kind of like brought that out. Um, but, you know, after two weeks on Reishi, she had some elevated platelets. So that was an interesting case. Which I'm glad that you said that. I'm glad that you said that there was what you you brought out a some sort of negative aspect of it, because that's what everybody needs to hear also in the liver world. There's all at every conference I go to, there's always somebody giving a lecture on the adverse effects of natural supplements on the liver. And it's just, these are real. These things are, if they're going to do real things, then it has the potential to do real bad things also. And everybody has to keep that in mind. So it's not that they're all good or all bad. It's a real issue. Totally agree. I mean, really what you just said and what you just illustrated is that these are not inert foods, inert products that don't, that don't have consequence when used correctly, great consequence. But when you're not paying attention, like having someone like yourself monitor someone as they're trying to get better, then, then uh, yeah, it, just like you said, Ken, it's, it's, there's real medicine. Yeah. The, the, the term, and it became fashionable to do this. So when I, when I go to conferences, you know, I mean, Mason, you're talking about like, you'll go to a conference and look for the person talking about, um, herbs and oncology and just wait for them to talk about a mushroom and i'm sure they're waiting for you at the end go are you going to talk about mushrooms they're like no mason every time you come to this conference you always ask about mushrooms we're not doing it this time <laughs> well i'm the same way where i go to these conferences and they're like um the alternative treatments in medicine and it's always and i i literally mean always the alternative treatments in medicine associated with dilly drug-induced liver liver injury Drug-induced liver injury, dilly. And I'm just like, but what about the beneficial aspects of it? Because I think frequently from a science world, it's just easier. It makes for a more interesting talk to, to discuss the case that you had where somebody took whatever. And, th- and now this leads into a great, a great segue, which I would like you to get into, Mason. I was going to say, what we don't discuss is I've been to lectures where the doctor says this person took turmeric and they ended up in liver failure. And I'm like, what turmeric? Where'd it come from? Yeah. What's the certificate of analysis? Yeah. And it's none of that. It's just a case report of somebody taking turmeric and you don't know where it was that was. Um, or if it was a combo med or if it was with something else. Yeah. Did you see a quick side note? Um, when Segura was on Joe Rogan and he, <laughs> he did, uh, he wanted to do whatever drug it was. And then he did too much. He did GHB and he did something else. But when he went to the ER, they're like, oh, you got everything. You got Ativan in you. you got, he's like, what? He's like, yes, yeah, somebody made this in their bathtub. <laughs> sometimes I feel like the, without the regulation, you can't just blame, you can't just say, oh, Reishi caused this. It comes down to what, where did it come from? what part of the mushroom was it extracted? How is the extraction method? So can you tell me why you, other than developing a personal relationship, why you're passionate about how real mushroom develops their products? Yeah, really important. So 
you know, they're, they're a professional company that puts quality first and how they do that is they first are sourcing, you know, uh, an ingredient that is a mushroom and only a mushroom. So, you know, the, it is an extract. So we do use some processing to make it into the powder, into the capsules. Um, so all of our products are fruiting body, hundred percent mushroom, and we test for all the different things that are, you know, regulated to be tested for in natural health products. They get tested twice and they get um, a full sort of gamut run on them from, you know, anything from pesticides to heavy metals to bacterial content, you know, the whole um, um, GMP kind of process there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, every batch that we produce comes with a certificate of analysis. So, you know, if you don't have that with your company, then I think that's a, a bit of a red flag. So every batch comes with their certificate of analysis that comes with that document that shows that these tests have been done on this product. And we've proven that, you know, it is um, safe in terms of, you know, there's no contaminants. We don't know how somebody's physiology is going to react with it, but from the product standpoint, it is um, very pure. Uh, the Our mushrooms are organic and we have, you know, an adverse reporting system at Real Mushrooms. So, you know, if that instance that I had comes up, you know, that gets reported to the company so we can kind of build, we can grow, we can collect a database on some of these things. Um, Sky's, you know, the guy to talk to about this stuff. I'm probably just butchering it right now in terms of, you know, <laughs> well, the the behind the scenes. But well, that's... I want you to go into more detail about something because you just said it real briefly, and you said that the extracts come from the fruit and body, and you just said it matter of factly. But when I went on Amazon and was looking at different mushroom extracts, mushroom supplements. And you look at the label, you look at the different pricing of different things. And when I would go to the label and read, uh, they have to say it someplace, but it would say that we have the finest mycelial blend extracts, such and such. And they make it sound very colorful and stuff. But when you just said fruit and body, that's actually what what drew me to real mushrooms, that and that you could actually give me the beta glucans percentage in it. So I'm like, okay, well, not only are they being very forthright about we do it from, because it costs more to do it from the fruit and body. It's easier to do it from the mycelium on grain-based mycelium. Just explain that little part real quick. Yeah. So, you know, just to be brief, um, mushrooms have three different parts. They have the mushroom, which is the above ground part. And then they have the underground part, which is the mycelium. And then they have the spore, which helps it reproduce. Spores aren't really big in the natural health market right now. There's a little bit in China, but the big ones that are out there are the mushroom and the mycelium. When looking at the part of the mushroom, we know that the the mushroom, the above ground part, has sometimes around seven times more of these beta-glucans and active compounds that have been actively studied. Um, You know, most of the studies are on an isolated extract of uh, polysaccharide. So we guarantee that we have those um, beta-glucans, which are, you know, over 30% in some of our products, 25% in some of our products. And then we also guarantee that there's no starch. So what happens is that when you get into the mushroom mycology world, you realize that mushrooms are awesome. And they can grow on anything. They're bioaccumulators, which means they um, will soak up whatever is in their environment. So 
to grow mushrooms on uh, wood, we can say that we can actively, you know, grow them as they are intended to grow in nature. And then we get all the active compounds in the mushrooms, like the beta glucans, which is a polysaccharide, which is a complex sugar. And then we get some of these uh, more secondary metabolites like triterpenes or like um, some of the other, um, you know, lesser known compounds like, you know, ergothionine or something. But the issue becomes when people are misled in the market to think that uh, mycelium and mushrooms are the same thing. Mycelium has two different, you know, ways you can grow it. One is you can inoculate um, some spores essentially and grow um, mycelium on grains. And that's how it's mostly done is that you, you know, you could grow them on oats, you can grow them on, uh, different grasses or coffee grounds, whatever. Um, the issue is that that end product becomes sort of um, inseparable from the medium that it was grown on. So then what you get is, you know, you get some mycelium matter, but you also get the grain that it was grown on. The problem with that is that grains are very high in starch. And starch is actually a polysaccharide too. So some companies will say, oh, we got a really high polysaccharide count, but they're actually um, measuring the beta glucans, they're measuring the beta glucans and the alpha starch. So, you know, there's so many in, in you know, there's so many complexities here, but basically um, there is some really good research with mycelium, but it is a pure mycelium product that is usually made in vats where you're doing a liquid fermentation type of style. And they do that, like, say for just like one or two products in China, one's called CS4, it's a cordyceps product, but that is a totally different beast from something growing on uh, rice flour or rice in the sense that, um, you're not going to get those active compounds that if you grew mushrooms on wood, like they're intended to in nature, because they soak up all the different things that, you know, like you said, at the start of the show, nature is very smart. So we sort of, you know, trust that and the science is kind of proving that. So that's, you know, pretty interesting in the sense that um, the mycelium mushroom conversation. So I think that's a good place to maybe, you know, pause. And if you guys have any follow-up questions, I can definitely answer them, but that's my initial uh, rant on the fruiting body. And, you know, there is good things about mycelium and ecology and in how, you know, mushrooms can be part of, you know, circular economies. I'm not denying that, but, you know, based on the literature, we know that these beta glucans are the leaders. So how do we get more of those and how do we make a really good product that has just mushrooms in it? It's almost like nature wants us to eat the fruiting body. Yeah. Well, we already know that the mycelium is such an important thing in nature. It's the mycelium that, the that does, it's the network. It does all that. But the reason why it's a network, because it interacts with yeah. its environment. So if you put it on a grain, let's just say you have a gluten sensitivity and this comes from a wheat grain of some mm -hmm. sort, it's going to interact with it and it's going to have some of that. And the fact that you said it's hard to distinguish between the mycelial polysaccharide and whatever the, the medium alpha, it is makes total sense. Yeah. That makes total sense. And I, yeah, I thank you for explaining it that way. I just thought that the fruiting bodies had more beta glucans and that was it. But the fact that you can actually have some, well, quite frankly, it's going to be a marketing mislabeling. And yeah. if you're not thinking about it, then you're going to be doing something. You're just not getting the full benefit. You're getting a fraction of the beta glucans that you can. Am yeah. I saying that right? 
Yep. And you know, like there's mycelium um, species and processes now that they can, you know, they can push the mycelium to make more mycelium than it traditionally would. So, you know, there is still beta glucans in mycelium, but you know, fruiting body has way more from what I've done and the work, work, the analytical work we've been doing at real mushrooms shows that, you know, the, the active compounds are way higher in the fruiting body. I mean, I think it's, like I said, I literally just discovered some mushrooms and, um, or, or literally discovered the science of the mushrooms because mm-hmm. there's only so much time in the day. We always seem to be <laughs> looking at stuff and then something will come up and I'll just be like, holy cow, how have I been missing this? So the exciting thing for you as the, a naturopathic doctor that has been learning this is that it's kind of tip of the iceberg, at least where we're at. And starting to integrate some of this into into my own practice is what I'm really excited to do and do that and say, and explain why. When it's the same thing, right? It's the same thing with CBD. Somebody says, oh, I bought a CBD off Amazon. It was $4 and I got a, I got a case of it. I'm like, you got hemp seed oil. You didn't get CBD. So. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, totally. Well, I love that explanation. Um, so since Brown, you just brought it up. If uh, Ken were to begin to incorporate actively early uh, mushrooms into his practice, what kind of conditions would you say are great to dip your toe in because they, these conditions respond the best to mushrooms? Great question. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, so, you know, anything from like a upper respiratory tract infection, I think, you know, you could play around with them there. You know, they are key stimulators of the innate immune system. So that's one that I, you know, for an acute perspective, you know, like, for sure, you know, colds, flus, uh, why not? Um, and sleep, which ones, you know. Which ones do you like for that? So just for like early on innate immune system, what do you like for that? Um, I like a blend usually, you know, like usually a mix of a few, but um, you know, most of them have the beta glucans and that's gonna stimulate the innate immunity. So you can't really go wrong, but I would go with R5 Defenders, which is just a blend of reishi, shiitake, maitake, chaga, and turkey tail, or um, I would just go with turkey tail. So those are the two that I would kind of mm. go out there. Um, I don't see turkey tail in my, in my mix here. Yeah. <laughs> we can't help anybody today. <laughs> so, you know, that's one that I use them with. Um, another one, sleep. So reishi, um, I, I use acupuncture in my practice. I'm not a Chinese medical doctor. Um, I really respect the philosophy behind, um, different ways of knowing, but, um, reishi is really good to build chi and blood. So a lot of, uh, my female patients or, you know, uh, woman identifying patients, they, um, are often deficient in blood, which can lead to insomnia. So if they have more of this chi blood deficiency pattern, which um, usually shows up as sort of like pale, tired, um, just like more depleted. They have maybe, you know, heavy menses. They have uh, other signs of blood loss from Western way of knowing or Chinese medicine way of knowing. Um, Reishi can be helpful for sleep in those patients and other insomnia patients, but that's the one that I find it works the most is like more of that depleted um, system. what else do you want to play? What else do I do? Um, 
Yeah, uh, cordyceps, like I mentioned, I'll just reiterate it for the lower respiratory tract infections. It's really good for, I see some Lyme patients, so it has a lot of um, good antiviral, antibacterial properties. So anybody with like a, a tick-borne illness that has a chronic infection from that, cordyceps is a nice go-to. Uh, that's more of complex patients, though. Yeah. Uh, Lion's mane, obviously. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, if you're treating Lyme, that's one of those chronic things. Anything that I'm treating that's kind of chronic, there's always a component of anxiety. Do you have a particular one that you like for anxiety? Don't want to put you on the spot, but geez, if we could have one of those. Yeah, you know, I wish there was a magic pill, but, um, you know, Lyme's mane, just because it has that, you know, more cognitive kind of uh, resonance to it. But, uh, yeah, I... I would say it would depend for me, you know, what's the anxiety from, and then it would like, uh, like say they have, um, they're, they're anxious cause they're just not feeling great and they're more depleted. I would go with Reishi if they're anxious because, you know, they maybe need more cognitive support or motivation. Yeah. Lion's mane, but you know, that's a very, uh, reductionist way to practice, but yeah, those are the two that I would probably use for, for that sense. Um, reductionist way to practice, <laughs> AKA that's the traditional medicine. Way. <laughs> well, no, yeah, uh, no, but he said, um, yeah. <laughs> no, I agree with you. I agree I with you, but, I, but I, but I like how you phrase it. That's I a very do. reductionist way to look at it. <laughs> yeah. It's just, uh, you know, this for that, which always doesn't end up good long-term I found, um, what else, um, you know, like peripheral neuropathy can respond well with lion's mane with like, you know, some more uh, nerve growth factors like B1, B12, ALA. So uh, peripheral neuropathy was, I'm sorry to interrupt, but when we had John Gilday on the show, that's what he said. Yeah. He was talking about peripheral neuropathy and that exact same combo. Yeah. A PhD that um, a company, we haven't had a chance to talk about this, but we're good friends with David Roberts, who's the owner of Brock Elite really one of the only stable sulforaphane products out there mm -hmm. i'll get you in touch with them because you guys um you and his phd his phd john gilday we were just somehow got on a, a tangent about peripheral neuropathy and he said that exact same comment i'm like i why would i use those he's like it works just trust me yeah like, okay sweet yeah yeah let me know his contact info i'd love to jam with him um you know, if you're in the oncology world, I don't know if you, you guys are into oncology, but, you know, um, beta-glucans can be helpful with, you know, chemo, radiation recovery after you're done those treatments. So while you bring that up, let me ask you a question. A problem that I run into, and I have a lot of oncology friends, and they're extremely smart doctors, and they're caring, and they're really good. They are so reluctant here to do anything that is not part of a protocol that is going on. And I understand why, because so much of cancer, a lot of cancer may not end well, and I don't think they want to be on the receiving end of that. It sounds like some of these Canadian oncologists are very comfortable using some alternative methods. Is that just part of the nature of the training that's there? Is there naturopathic oncologists? Like, how do, how do I get my oncologist to try some of this stuff? Is what I'm saying. Well, they love data. So you'd have to send them data. 
Um, so there's a good meta-analysis out there showing that turkey tail is pretty safe with even, you know, after most oncologists will just say, do it after the chemo, but, uh, you know, you, they just need data. So, you know, sending them the meta-analysis on the safety profile of Coriolis or turkey tail may be a place to start just to say, you know, they just care about their patients a lot and their treatments are very specific. So I think just, you know, sending them just a little bit more of just like, Hey, like, what, uh, what do you think of this? You know, it's like a, it's like a suggestion, you know, I think they can get kind of, and I do it too. You know, I always like it when people reference it as like a suggestion, but, um, yeah, maybe sending them the meta-analysis on Turkey tails safety profile, and that might be a start. And like, there is not the, you know, the data in that is not, you know, it's not superb. It's not great, but you know, there is some quality of life stuff that improves. There are some cool immune metrics that do improve. So, you know, it's not, um, it's not like, uh, the efficacy rate of it, I guess, isn't that high. Maybe that's not why it's on their radar, but it can help people. It's you know, great, great ideas. Absolutely. Yeah. I've got a, I've got a, a, a wild question here at the end, but I've, I've always wondered this and I didn't know if maybe this was just the way that the U S was being brought up to speed with what you with what Canadians uh, are just far more in tune with, but what is up with all of the mushrooms and coffee? <laughs> <laughs> no doubt, right? Because Instagram ads and everything. Yeah. <laughs> that seems to be the way that they are starting. And they, they know that, that Americans drink a lot of coffee. They're like, you know what? You know what goes good in coffee? Mushrooms. So I didn't know if that was something that you could speak to. Yeah, you know, I think it's just a uh, an easy delivery mechanism to get more mushrooms into your life. And, you know, coffee drinkers, you know, there's some that are, you know, probably should be drinking coffee. And then probably 90% of them probably shouldn't be drinking <laughs> as much coffee as they're drinking. So I think it helps those people, you know, they're drinking their coffee, they're pushing their uh, sympathetic nervous system a bit too much. So I think the mushrooms just kind of help um, balance that whole process out. And um, you know, there's lots of fillers in some of the ones I've seen, which I don't love, but, um, and apparently my, my good friend, Anna, uh, Sitkoff, she's a really cool person. She's a researcher and a naturopathic doctor from, um, oh, I don't want to mess it up. She'll be pissed, uh, Washington. And she, um, believes that actually the, uh, way that the tannins and the beta glucans interact, there may be a negative uh, chemistry thing. I don't know. She's a chemistry nerd. And she thinks that maybe that uh, beta glucan or polysaccharide connection with tannins in tea or coffee um, may have a negative impact on the absorption of these compounds. So, um, I think that elixirs are the way to go based on hearing that. So just having like a mushroom elixir versus coffee and then have your coffee later. But this is nitty gritty stuff. This is reductionist. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think they're just, they're just a way to get more mushrooms into people's lifestyle. And, you know, they're more used in that lifestyle wellness way and not the, uh, yeah, they're used in that way, which I think is great because the more we get people thinking and having mushrooms, I think the better. And yeah, so that's what I'll kind of say about that. Well, Mason, uh, do us a favor. Tell everyone how they can get in touch with you at Real Mushrooms and at your clinic. 
however however you best like yeah and also with that because we're going to get questions are you able to do telehealth can you see u.s patients so you can find um our products or me at realmushrooms.com and if you want to email me i can leave my email it's mason at realmushrooms.com and we have you know we have a retail line so if you're uh um, a normal human, I, I like to say, then you can, you know, enjoy our products. And then if you're a practitioner, we have a practitioner program too. So if you're interested in, um, signing up, which you guys are uh, an awesome addition to, um, we have a practitioner program too, just to let people know. Um, my personal clinic is the health creation lab. So it's www.thehealthcreationlab.com. I can work with patients in Ontario and in any state that's unregulated with naturopathic medicine. So if you wanted to do virtual, it's kind of like a unregulated. So I'm, I'm confused by that. So I don't think Texas is regulated. uh, Texas isn't regulated, right? Texas is big. Yeah. I don't know what Texas, I got a nice map of the regulated ones, but basically it's just so that like, if you have an ND in your state, then you, I guess, I don't know. They don't like people. Um, I don't know, it's some weird rule with my province and my regulation, but if you're in a state that doesn't regulate naturopaths, I could be your naturopathic doctor. I should probably um, not talk out of turn. I don't know if Texas is or not, honestly, but regardless, I mean, it's- Texas it's, will do like, they'll be real rogue on certain things and then just pass a weird abortion law. Of nowhere, so, <laughs> yeah. Well. yeah, well, can, can do the conversation there. <laughs> I can't help it. That's <laughs> what's going on right now. Yeah, no, it's yeah. We got to bring that realness. I mean, there's 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 two hot topics going on. It's mushroom coffee and that yeah. thing I just said. Yeah. Do you have hey Mason? Do you have any any fungus that brings more humor back into a conversation? <laughs> yeah, it starts with uh, P and ends with N. Oh. <laughs> We'll get to that one eventually. Yeah, exactly. Well, Mason, I, I can't thank you enough for carving out time to, to hop on with this. It's it's a new, it's really a new area, but at the same time, it's so interesting. And I can't wait for us to start making this more available to the people that we talk to. I mean, one of my favorite things to do is when I talk to some of my colleagues and they're like, ah, there's no science on that. And I was like, listen to episode 62. Pretty sure Mason can run mental circles around you and turn you into a reductionist type doctor. Yeah, if you probably aren't already. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I really appreciated this. I love, yeah, I love hearing you guys laugh. I think it's important. Uh, yeah, I really, I really like this. So let, I, let's stay in touch. I definitely. Absolutely. So we'll put uh, in the show notes, you send us whatever references you want. We'll put your, the healthcreationlab.com, mason at realmushroom.com. And this is going to be something that I'm in my baby step. So I'll sign up for the physician portal and learn as I go and see where we go with this. And uh, most of my patients are real open to trying new things because most of the time the, I do the homework and we get traditionally pretty good outcomes with very few side effects. So doing the homework on the company that I want to work with is super important. Realmushroom.com, they get it from the fruiting body and they've got the beta glucan percentage on every single one. So yeah, this is uh, everything I wanted it to be, buddy. Thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah, no problem. Thanks you so much for having me. I, I do really appreciate it. That's awesome. So guys, that's going to be episode number 62, Dr. Mason Bressett of Real Mushrooms. 
Appreciate it, uh, everyone. Like and share, and thank you for joining the Gut Check Project. As always, and once again, we always forget to do this. Uh, this is a for fun show. I'm a medical doctor. I'm not your medical doctor, unless I am, but we are not giving medical advice. We are trying to educate. That wasn't near as much fun. <laughs> Y'all be careful. Bye-bye. <laughs>